Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, and welcome to Mapping the College Audition podcast where we explore the landscape of the college theater world and try to demystify this daunting audition process. I'm your host, Charlie Murphy, director of MTCA, that's Musical Theater College Auditions, and today we have a well-cast show lined up for you. Mary Sugarman from Tara Rubin Casting is on the show today and was a true delight to chat with. Um, I know we had just recently had a great runner with industry folks and I was starting to turn back in a different direction, but this was just too good of a guess to pass up when the chance arose. Um, and I think really helpful to hear from a casting director who's done so much Broadway uh, specifically as Mary does, um, given how many of our listeners are interested in musical theater. So I think you're really gonna enjoy. Not a ton of housekeeping before the show, except, of course, to remind everyone about our upcoming junior workshop, which, for our alumni listeners, please let any junior or sophomore or freshman or younger friends of yours know about it. It's this coming Monday, February 27th, from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern. It is free and a great chance to get to know MTCA a little bit for those who have not yet met us. And if you're already MTCA, I just want to make sure you haven't confused this with Junior Workshop with Junior Weekend, which is an easy mistake to make. But that Junior Weekend, that's March 18th and 19th, and is held both online and in person in New York City. An excellent stepping stone in your process toward preparing you for our faculty masterclasses, all leading to your pre-screens and your live auditions in the next year. At Junior Weekend, you'll be working a song and monologue on your feet and getting individual feedback as well as dancing and hanging out in an information meeting with me and Leo and one of our college advisors. That is not free, but also is available via our show notes or on our website. And that is a steal at any price, junior weekend that is. And for our MTCA alumni, have you all bought your merch yet? I posted a video of Solvay in an MTCA bucket hat on social media, and somehow it did better than my content that is just me or my content trying to sell people something. Social media is a strange, strange place. Well, that's it. Let's dive into the interview with Mary Sugarman. Well, we are so excited and honored to be joined by Mary Sugarman. Uh, Mary's a BFA in musical theater from Emerson College. She was initially an actress in tours of shows like Les Miserables, Aspects of Love, both with the great Anne L. Nathan, friend of the pod and MTCA coach. Um, then she's done so much wonderful casting. Um, she was with Lieberman Hirschfeld, actually you'll pronounce it better than I just did, um, where she worked on shows such as News Radio, The Larry Sanders Show, and then DreamWorks, where she worked on shows like Spin City. She's director of casting for dramas and movies at ABC, where she did stuff like Alias, NYPD Blue, and now with Tara Rubin, where there are just too many credits to name Tara Rubin casting, but Broadway shows like Ain't Too Proud and The Band's Visit and Les Mis and Phantom of the Opera and Cats. I will tell you, all of these shows may come up a little relevantly in the game, Mary, as we move on later and play the game of what you've cast and not cast. God forbid. Um, Mary also wrote a book, much of the content of which I think we'll talk about today, which is called From Craft to Career, and it'll be available via link in the show notes. Uh, and we're going to try to move some digital paper today. Mary, how are you doing? Welcome on the pod. I'm good. I'm excited. I'm a little nervous. Did you feel good about that condensing of your bio? I had to cut about 90% of your bio, but do you feel good <laughs> with what got in? Is there anything else you'd want to be like, oh, but you, I would have wanted you to talk about this? No, no, you did great. I will say it's Lieberman Hirschfeld. Thank you. But now you know. And yeah, I actually think you did a pretty good job. Well, thank you. I'll take pretty good. That's normally about as good as it gets <laughs> for me. Um, let me ask the question that I, I start everyone off with, which is just to take me back a little bit to yourself around 16, 17, when we're often meeting our MTCA students. And just thinking about like, 
if you had been at the time precocious enough to have like a mission statement for what you wanted your college experience to be. So what you were looking for in a school as you applied to schools, kind of what was that? And then how did that end up connecting or changing over the course of college and then your early career to see sort of where your career ended up veering? Yeah, it's interesting because when I was doing it, there wasn't such a thing as showcase. So that wasn't anything that was on the table for me as far as a reason to make any decisions. Um, you know, there were an equal amount of schools where you had to audition to get into the program versus having to audition each year in mm -hmm. order to stay in the program. Like a cut program um, is what you're describing. The yes. much feared cut program. Yes. Um, you know, I know now they have both of those as well. And I think there are even some schools where you get into the program via audition, but you then have to audition for your showcase. Mm -hmm. Um, so that stuff was actually not on my mind. I did audition for a bunch of schools. I did like a full tour with my parents, Carnegie Mellon, Cincinnati Conserv you know, Cincinnati Conservatory of Music, Emerson, Boston Conservatory, um, NYU, and quite a few others. And um, oddly, the one that was probably the least state of the art um, and the most sort of old school, even for that time was Emerson. And that was where I wound up one of the schools that I wound up getting into where I just felt most at home. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't have the language for it then, but now I know that that had to do with really what was right for me as an individual and yeah. that knowing that that was the kind of environment that I was going to thrive in, um, and not necessarily one of those other places, my parents were sort of like this place really, uh -huh. because it just was less impressive in general, right. Than you know, the other schools that maybe were a little more moneyed and a lot bigger. Um, but yeah, it was good well, that I sort of followed my heart. I love that you're giving me, you know, it's a very modern take on the modern mean the past five to 10 years take on the process, not only in terms of numbers of schools, so many of our guests who are you know, 31, 32, or I'm like, you're not that far away. We're like, I did three schools. We're like, All right, come on. That's not how you do the process. And, but I also love that you're talking about the nuance of finding the school that was the right fit for you, right? Getting into multiple schools and deciding what's right. That's certainly a, a big thing that we advise on the FTCA side of things. Um, but I'd love to hear about, so what was your Emerson experience like, right? Obviously now we would call that a much more academic BFA than the average BFA. There's more academics than you would get at a Carnegie Mellon. Um, and we have yes. Eric Weiss on to talk about Emerson specifically. Um, but how did that, that hit what you were looking for? And I'd love to then talk, I know you might not immediately in school have been known you were going to go into casting, but did any of the Emerson training experience, uh, um, influence what ended up being your casting experience? I think that what Emerson prepared me for was knowing that whatever, wherever I wound up, I was going to need to be sort of an expert in interpersonal communications. That's mm -hmm. really what that school gave me. I mean, their BFA program was fantastic at the time and it still is, but um, it was a much more, uh, although I concentrated, you know, uh, on, on musical theater and acting the whole time, um, there were requirements then that I don't think exist anymore that kind of prepared me for life in general in a way that made that experience worth it. Mm -hmm. um, tell me a little bit now. So as you graduate, what was the transition from acting to casting like, right? Was it one of those things that felt like it was always inevitable? Was it a hard fought battle with your performer self to kind of relinquish that first part of the hyphens? I mean, so many of our students we know will end up not being only actors. They will be actors and, and some of them will be the other thing, will be the and and not the actors anymore, right? How did that journey go for yourself as you turned into actor slash casting director and then casting director? Casting was not on my radar at all. Um, I, you know, I was kind of born dancing and singing and acting, and it never occurred to me that I would do anything else. I, um, uh, like I said, I went to college, and as soon as I got out, I, I, I got the lamest tour pretty quickly. It was, it was, but, but quickly, you know, to me was two and a half years later. And I think to other people that wouldn't be so quick. Heck yeah, that's quickly. Yeah. But I was working, you know, as a non-equity actor and then it was much harder once I got my card. Um, mm -hmm. 
I got my card doing a, an apprenticeship at the Burt Reynolds Dinner Theater in Jupiter, Florida. And uh, I got the Les Mis tour pretty quickly after that. Um, I came home for a year. I went like right back to waiting tables because not one to rest on my laurels. And I wanted to make sure that I kept some money saved. And then pretty quickly after that, I got the Aspects of Love tour, which... Just a little bit of trivia. I did not do with Anne L. Nathan. Oh. I replaced Anne oh. L. Nathan. You stepped into these beautiful, well-worn shoes of Anne I L. Nathan. I stepped into the humongoid shoes of Anne L. Nathan. Um, and by the way, not as well. Yeah, Trust right. me. I don't like, believe that for a second. She's, I don't believe you know. that for a second. And then, you know... Aspects uh, was a tour that brought me to Los Angeles, where, you know, it, whereas in New York, you can audition every day for something. In LA, it's a very different ballgame. And that is not anything that's changed yep. from then till now. Um, but, you know, as an actor, you're always kind of like, should I go to New York? Should I go to LA? Should I try Chicago? Um, and I was really interested in checking out film and television, at least, even though my background was in theater. And basically what happened was I was in the ensemble of that show and I was covering a lead and I went on and there was an agent there that night who got in touch with me and said, you know, if you want to live out here, I'd be mm -hmm. interested in representing you. And so... It took me a little while to make that decision, but I did eventually move out to LA to give that a shot. I did pretty well in voiceovers. I booked a mm -hmm. couple of like guest spots on some, you know, small TV shows, um, small parts on TV shows. And, um, you know, when I was hostessing and, you know, a, a, I, I kind of had to start at least thinking about the fact that even though I was kind of a working actor, I wasn't happy. Mm -hmm. And that's a red flag for sure. And um, a really close friend of mine from college called me. He was uh, line producing a sitcom at the time called Grace Under Fire. And he said, hey, the company that cast my show is looking for an assistant. I know you're feeling a little at sea and maybe this is something that you'd be good at. And I didn't even think twice because at the time it was like, there's an opportunity, you take it. Mm -hmm. Like you'll yes, decide yeah. what comes of it later. But yep. um, I, I took it and I kind of fell into that job. I got really lucky and, um, and I kind of never looked back. I didn't miss acting for one second. I was mm -hmm. not a very good auditioner. Um, uh, I, I didn't have access to that kind of vulnerability that it takes to have your job be to audition, right. which is basically the case when you're not working as an actor. And um, I really loved this. Um, yeah. There was something creative about it that also appealed to my sense of, you know, administrative skills and mm -hmm. organizational skills and, and all of that. Yeah. Um, so that's really how it happened. I, I love that you, you talk about, you know, auditioning versus acting. I think some, so many people who are so good at acting and what it is to be in a rehearsal room and work on a role. It's like, but are you actually good at the auditioning part of it? Because that is your job until you get the job. So you get famous enough that you're getting, you know, straight offers. But I, I also think, you know, something that you said that we often chat about um, with our musical theater students, especially when they're thinking about musical theater school, is like the allure of L.A., almost certainly is going to, the allure of TV and film, I should say, almost certainly is going to come up at some point because you're going to reach a point when you want to make sustainable money. And unless you're in a Broadway show all the time, it's really hard to make a sustainable career in this business, only doing theater if you're not also doing some TV, some film, doing some, some other places. That's where the bigger dollars often are. So at some point in your life, you're almost everyone's going to reckon with, maybe I want to be on TV. Maybe I want to be in a film as opposed to just doing theater. I mean, that's where... That, that's true. That's where the money is. But it's not true that the film and television um, auditions or, or work is so much more like concentrated in L.A. anymore. Right. There's just totally. way too much going on here and in Minneapolis and yep. in Chicago and, Atlanta, in and then, yeah. Yeah, oh, my God, Atlanta's yep. huge, huge. Totally. Which is well, and we'll of talk great. about self tapes too, because you can kind of live a lot of different places often. And yeah. do I mean, I you know, I'm with my partner auditions all the time on self tapes, and very little is in LA in terms that she's auditioning for, but she's auditioning everywhere else in Toronto, in Atlanta, in of course New York, plenty of stuff filmed. So yeah, totally. Um, can we just take a little step back and just talk a little bit about what the role of a casting director is? So what is your job as you see it, um, you know, on a day to day basis? 
I mean, the short answer is I serve a creative team by putting talent in the room for them to decide whether they're the right people to tell the story that they want to tell. Mm. That's the the very simple version of it. You know, the, the shepherding process that starts from the pre-screen and then goes to the studio test and the network test, if we're talking about television or the final callbacks, um, you know, that's a really long process um, with many different steps. And I'm really the only one who's there right from the beginning of it. Uh huh. And can we talk through a little bit? I mean, I, we'll get maybe a little more granular in the second half as we dive into some advice stuff, but just in terms of how that works on a large scale in different media. So what it's like in terms of a casting director through a TV process, through a film process, and then especially we haven't heard as much on the podcast about how it works in the Broadway process. Some of the the actors have talked about, oh, and then I went to a final callback. It seems like it works pretty differently um, in the Broadway world. So how, how does it work, uh, maybe especially with ABC, with DreamWorks, with Tara Rubin, in terms of the different um, experiences of of working with you and going from a first meeting to booking the role? I mean, the biggest difference is that with film and television, uh, sorry, not with film, but with television, the director has nothing to do with the audition. Mm -hmm. Um, It's the producers and the writers. And that basically starts the same way any audition does with what pretty much all casting directors call a pre-screen, whether it's via self-tape, whether now it's live but via Zoom, or whether it's actually in a room. um, You get material to read. You go in, you read it. Hopefully you get some uh, feedback and some adjustments from the people in the room who are usually uh, with, with television, the associate team, The line producer, who's the person who kind of really, really runs the show, is sometimes also a writer. Um, The executive producers, who are often the writers of the show. And then uh, somebody from the studio or the network, depending on how big a role it is. I'm talking about guest star parts now. A Mm -hmm. series regular is like sort of a different ballgame with a couple Mm -hmm. of added steps and work sessions. Um, But... Uh, yeah, I mean, with, those are with the like people. With a guest who... star, what is the role of a studio executive in that room? Are they just there overseeing? Are they are they voting on things that they're saying? Hey, this is better for the brand of our network, or I think she's really cute, or what are they at throwing in there? You know, in terms of their two cents. Yeah, so that's an interesting question because the role of an executive casting director at a studio has a lot to do with the needs of the studio slash network. Those are the Mm -hmm. people who are funding the the television show. And those people need to be really aware of what it is that's lacking, what the edict is that's come down from on Mm -hmm. high, where somebody says, you know, like I worked with J.J. Abrams at ABC. He was just pitching Lost and we were working on Alias together. And you know, to have to go to the really creative people and say, hey, I see why you like that actor, but the reason we're spending a billion dollars to make your pilot is because you promised that that character would be relatable to men in the Bible Belt between the ages of 35 and 55, and that guy doesn't speak to that, Uh right? So you can rob from Peter to pay Paul and have that actor, but then you need to change the trajectory of this other character to fulfill our needs because you have a contract with us, right? So that stuff is so interesting, I think, to hear from an actor perspective, but also frustrating because it's like, how do I use that information as an actor of like, how do I appeal more to certain men in the Bible? Belt or whatever? Like sometimes we'll talk that way to be like, like sometimes I'll give the advice of like, okay, but I think because it's a TV show, you need to be more likable. Like it's like, so you kind of can give a little thought or a little uh, um, toward that, but it feels like most of that stuff is really beyond our control of. Yeah, no, I'll be, tell how you how exactly how to use that information. You admit you're powerless over it <laughs> and that frees you up to do your work. Yeah. Right. You know that everybody's going to see you and make decisions and have emotions through different eyes and they're never going to have exactly the same reaction. And so spending any time trying to figure out what it is that anybody wants is really wasteful when it's like, oh, I have an audition today. I get to act. 
Let uh-huh. me make some bold, vivid choices here and show them what I bring to the table. You're never going to be right, even if like you think you are, because uh-huh. there's never a unanimous thing behind the table where everybody wants the same thing or interprets things the same way. Totally. Um, can we talk a little bit about the dreaded self-tape, what you've called the, the pre-screen especially? Obviously not new in the pandemic, but how has it shifted in the past couple of years? How has it shifted your job and how has it changed maybe an actor's responsibility in the past couple of years of the increase of, of self-tapes? Um, how do I want to put this? There has always been the self-tape. I understand that it's newer for theater actors Um, but you know, people have been self-taping long before the pandemic as a part of their initial audition. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a lot of people are super hung up and spending a lot of money on super fancy equipment. And really all you need is, you know, a, a, a blank background with a color that makes your face pop and some decent lighting. Mm -hmm. You know, that's truly all you need right? If we can see you and we can hear you, it's all good. I don't really want to see your unmade bed in the background. This is a made bed, Mary. Your bed is made, made, Charlie. (laughs) I knew you were going to say something. Wow. (laughs) But you know what I mean? Like, I, I think I get so many questions. I know that there's so much anxiety around this. And the bottom line is that it doesn't change what you should be doing or the acting choices you should be making. Mm -hmm. You might want to reframe something if you're going to belt out a big old song, but I sort of feel like if you're a good actor and you're telling the truth and you're making smart decisions and taking risks and you do exactly the same thing in the room as you do for the camera. I love it. All right, let's take a very short and early break because I want to get into a nice long nitty gritty of a bunch of questions about casting that may be specific to our young actors. So we're going to pay a couple bills with the ads and we'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, we are back with the wonderful Mary Sugarman. We've been talking a lot of nonsense on the break, and we're going to try to bring that wonderful nonsense energy mm-hmm. into the second half of the show. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about um, the casting director's relationship with a young actor, and especially from the actor's perspective, what that looks like. With so many of our students being young, right? maybe they're about to start college, they're in college, or just out of college. How does that relationship begin on your end, right? Obviously, with everyone listening to the podcast, they've already begun their relationship with you in somewhat, and they're going to read your book, and they're going to begin and continue that relationship. But how do they come onto your radar most often as a young person? I mean, it's kind of my job as much as it is theirs to get them onto my radar. So there's a lot of different ways to go. Mostly it's about trying to at least watch a few minutes of anything that is streaming, anything that's on prime time, going to showcases, going to plays as much as I possibly can, trying to do things that are a little off the beaten path. When I travel, I try and see something, you know, that's in the city where I'm traveling. Um, And I try and keep track of, you know, all of these workshops too, because I find that, you know, the the teen workshops and um, especially now, especially with the volume of work that's being written for teens and, you know, actors in their in their 20s, the spring awakenings and the rents and the, you know, all of those things that are so popular right now. That's kind of where it starts. So there's usually like space in between us yep. um, physically. 
And a lot of times I have a relationship with actors that the actors have no idea about. Uh-huh. Yep. Well, and when we taste attending showcases, so you kind of mentioned in your consideration of school, you know, there wasn't really that that idea of a showcase yet, or you weren't worried about which showcases are attended. Now I think a lot of um, students kind of worry about, well, now so many schools have showcases, which showcases actually get attended by which people. So what does it look like? You don't have to tell me all the exact specific ones that you do, but how many showcases do you attend? What kinds of, are you going to the same schools again and again? Are you mixing it up? What is your relationship with attending showcases for people who are right out of school? I mean, there's, you know, the pandemic notwithstanding, there's like 11 of us at the office. So every single person doesn't go to every single showcase. Right. Um, usually as a senior casting director at Tara's office, I'll say like, this is what I want to attend. This is what I would like to attend. It doesn't keep anybody else from going either. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those are the usual suspects, but I really try to make it my business to go to ones that are sort of off the beaten path, right? Mm-hmm. That aren't necessarily on the tips of people's tongues. But I will say that um, I think a lot of people showcase long before they're ready to showcase. Uh Um, And I think what nobody's really talking about is how many people get agents and, you know, get dropped a year and a half later. Uh Or um, my, 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 fear about showcasing is that senior year comes and you've spent like four years with these people and they're your family and they know Mm -hmm. everything about you and you've gone through so much with them. And then everybody just kind of stops learning and gets panicked about Mm -hmm. showcase and they kind of start looking around and people suddenly become your competition and stuff gets really awkward. And I, I think that there's a little too much emphasis put on the, the success of, you know, your showcase and, and what that means. That said, I I do see them as sort of a necessary, you know, evil to, Mm -hmm. to my business. I of course want to find people who nobody else has seen or heard of yet. You know, of course I want to, um, know what's out there, um, and who's in, in a situation where they're ready or who's in a situation where they're really raw, but maybe they're ready for this, but not for that. Or Mm -hmm. do you know what I mean? There's just so many new young actors to see and be aware of. And, um, casting directors go because so many people don't, or one of the reasons because so many people won't get agents. Like I Mm -hmm. could really care less if you have an agent or not. Mm -hmm. It's not like, only the talented people have representation. So if I know that you exist, I'll find you. I don't have to go through an agent. You know, the great thing about managers and agents, obviously, is that they're going to know about stuff that the actor's not going to know about. And hopefully they're going to really shepherd your career and care about, you know, what you want to accomplish as an actor. What if you are one of those 22-year-olds, maybe a young 22-year-old who graduates, does the showcase, and maybe wasn't totally ready to be seen by the world. And so you got, you saw me, you got an impression. It wasn't the the thing that I wanted to show. Now I'm 25 and I'm kind of in a different place. I've grown, I've matured. I've done some shows regionally and I go, oh, I really feel like I now am ready to be seen by you. How does that 25, 26 year old listener, how do they get on your radar now, newly again, if they're not yet on a prime time TV show or that kind of thing? How, How do they get found by you? I mean, that happens the same way that it happens with every actor that's doing the work that they should be doing. That happens by creating your own work and inviting industry people to see it. It happens, especially with musical theater people, by showing up at EPAs and chorus calls. Mm -hmm. It happens by putting yourself in classes where you can keep an ear to the ground and be around people of your same ilk. It happens by nurturing relationships with people that you have, you know, have the good fortune to meet who might be able to help you in another time. And, you know, let's be clear, like not being ready isn't the same thing as not being good. Mm -hmm. You know, good casting directors don't dismiss somebody who's not ready. They go, ah, not ready. Mm -hmm. Let me keep an eye on this person for a year or two years. Do you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Um, so the audition process in general, especially from showcase on has to be about building that foundation. And I feel really strongly about, you know, knowing that that's what the auditions are actually for even a little bit more so than booking. 
Yep, totally. Well, and I want to talk about that relationship and building that relationship because maybe it's helpful almost to jump to the place that everybody wants to get to, which is, you know, when I, I was told Leo, uh, our other director, when I told him, you know, I'm having Mary on, he's like, oh my God, I love Mary. She's cast me in so many things. She's the best. And it sounded like he was talking about his best friend, right? And I think a lot of young actors will notice that professionals will talk about casting directors like they're their friends. But it seems this like mystifying thing when you're 22 of being like, this intimidating presence. How do I get to that place where like I'm besties and maybe it's not ever truly besties for some people, but for some people it is. And Nathan is one of your best friends. How do you get to that place where you are, um, where you have that kind of a relationship with a casting director? Yeah. How does it it usually comes? I mean, it's not like I love Leo and I love his work, but he's also been in my room as an actor many, many, many times. Mm -hmm. And we have gone through an audition process together that it ceases to be strictly professional because acting is so personal. Uh Right. So as you sort of shepherd somebody through an audition process, you get to know people, you share things about yourself. Um, I think then, you know, the rest kind of speaks to personality. I'm somebody who's always going to be pretty forthcoming about my own experiences because that's how I direct. And I think it's how um, I help actors get where they need to be as far as, you know, experience, as Mm -hmm. far as the choices that they're going to make. Other casting directors, not so much. And that's not a bad thing. You know, certain people decide to give of themselves in a way that other people aren't comfortable with. But I will say that I think that like I mentioned before, your interpersonal communication skills and your personality has a lot to do with creating a room that's warm and allows actors to do their best work because of that. Uh huh. Yep, totally. Well, what, what about when you first meet an actor? Let's say maybe it's a showcase or maybe it is a first audition. Now you're bringing them in. You know, what are you sniffing for as you're watching them work? You know, maybe you'd say, this, they're a little too young, they're not ready here. Maybe they're a little green or whatever it is in terms of, of that. But what is the thing that would make you go, oh, I do want to bring them in, or I am, this person really is talented. What is the thing that, you know, from your perspective, that's kind of checking off those boxes for you? Yeah. I mean, as far as young actors go, like I said before, of course, I want to be the person where, you know, the director looks down the table at me and is like, oh, my God, where did you find her? Mm -hmm. And we get that everybody has to start somewhere. We don't expect Mm -hmm. you to all come in with fully formed resumes at 22. Not only is it not possible, but nobody really cares about that. What I'm looking for is what I mentioned before, is your readiness, mm-hmm. how you talk to your accompanist, how you enter a room, how much thought you've put into what you're wearing. Are you warmed up? And most importantly, your active listening skills. Mm-hmm. You know, if somebody isn't... Um, doesn't have a huge body of work, that's different than somebody not being ready. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's clear when somebody is ready to take that next step, they'll you'll learn on the job. That's not, you know, ever an issue. The issue is, can that person take an adjustment? And when you say active listening skills, is it more about in that like interview process with the director or is it more in the scene itself that you're seeing their active listening? All of it. Mm-hmm. All of it. You know, what choices are you make based on what you're getting from your reader? You've been rehearsing something one way for a month and now somebody behind the table says, that doesn't work, please change it mm-hmm. and do this instead. You know, many, many people aren't capable of that. Totally. And how often, when, when you bring a young actor in, how often are you looking just to kind of meet them and see how they are in the room versus really testing them for a specific project? Are you often just giving them a shot or is it because you're saying, hey, I think you're actually going to book this specific musical I'm working on? It's one and the same. Hmm. I want to give them a shot, but it's very rarely general. Uh-huh. It is always no, for this some... project, even if you're saying, but I'm also yes. interested in meeting you. Yeah. Yes, and... Um, I do want to say that, you know, look in New York, the beauty is that you can audition every day of your life if you want to. Mm -hmm. I will say that I do have a lot of, um, time for people who show up and who do their work. And sometimes Mm -hmm. non-equity people come to an equity call and they can't get slotted in and they leave a picture and resume. And then I Mm -hmm. might say to my assistant, Hey, let's take two hours before we start auditions on Wednesday and, and bring these people in 
Hmm. who left their pictures at the EPA, who I didn't have a chance to see. They look kind of interesting. I don't want to like leave any stones unturned. If they're not right for this, maybe they'll be right for something else. And I just ask them to come in and sing their own thing or do their own monologue or yeah. That's awesome. I love that. Um, listeners to this pod will have very often gotten the advice to be a reader. And certainly I've said that before. Many guests have said to do it. How do you feel about young actors volunteering to be readers for you? How do they get those jobs? I often sort of talk about it. it's not always so easy just to be like, can I get into Tara Rubin and be a reader? But but talk to me about how does that happen, you know, to, whereas you find your reader? Our readers go through a pretty rigorous, like, non-disclosure situation. We all have to kind of have a feeling that this is somebody who can be trusted, that nothing will leave the room. Um, We like to use readers that um, are sort of tried and true. So we usually try out readers at Mm pre-screens. And then once we start using readers with the teams, we know which readers our directors and our music directors and people on the teams, producers, like. Mm -hmm. Um, Different people are more right for different projects. I very rarely use a musical theater person or anyone who could be up for the thing that I'm actually auditioning for because Mm -hmm. then it's weird and a conflict of interests. So I usually auditioning while they read. It's like I can't. That's right. But I will say, you know, there are quite a few readers who have gotten jobs because the director went, he's great. Why can't we cast him? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and um, I try and cast the reader, like somebody who feels like they get the rhythm and can breathe the air of what it is Mm -hmm. that I'm auditioning for. You can certainly let me know that that's something that you're interested in. Um, And if it feels right, you know, chances are we would call you and give it a shot and Mm -hmm. see if it works out. Um, But I do find that while it has to be an actor because I need somebody good to be a reader, um, I I try and stay away from the genre that I'm auditioning for when I'm choosing my reader. Totally makes sense. Well, and and you're talking about let me know that you're interested in being a reader. That that sort of gets to the next question of like, you know, actors also often get the advice, keep in touch, you know, keep everyone abreast of what's going on. And it's kind of their job to get into your inbox and stay fresh on your mind, right? How do you prefer that actors do that? And maybe I'm going to say, how often do you prefer that, you know, to be contacted if, if an actor were to, you know, just keep you up to date on what's happening in my world? This is different for everybody, by the way. So it kind of behooves the actor to sort of keep track of what is what is best for each person. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. like, and that's not about being, you know, princessy. That's about, you know, what what works for us as far as how is it actually going to be productive and effective that you're keeping in touch. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to be in my inbox. Like, trust me, it is a hot mess in there and you just sort of get lost in the sauce. Yep. Um, normally, I would say a postcard, like via snail mail, like with your picture on it and all that. But at the moment... Um, that's a little more challenging because Mm -hmm. of the lack of brick and mortar offices since the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, I've been getting um, correspondence through act from actors via our website, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's just a smart way to do things. I understand that a lot of actors do things that feel like they get no response. They get no feedback. Everything feels like it's going into a void. You never know if somebody's getting something. you certainly can't, they can't be expecting like a response. Um, But everything gets forwarded to us through our website on a daily basis by the person who is checking it. Um, And for me, every eight weeks, like every Uh two months Uh um, is great. And the more consistent, you know, the better if it's every two months for a year, that's great. But what happens like two years later? Uh You know, and every single time, hey, we met at such and such a class, I sang Uh blah, 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 just because there's only one of me and there's a lot of actors. And, um, you know, the consistency allows us to go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, Oh, I'm so glad this came now because now I have something Uh for them. Uh Um, And I need help remembering everybody. And that's not about, you know being like mean or cold. That's just about like math. You know, there's only so much that a person can remember. And the more consistently somebody gets put in the forefront of your brain, the better. 
And do you mind if, you know, obviously if it's great if they're saying, hey, I'm just about to do this cool um, work that I put up, or I'm about to be sing at 54 Below, but do you mind if they're sending you a thing that's also like, here's some cute pictures of me and my child or whatever? Like, does it need to be, how, how much would you want that to stay a really, this is professional information versus sometimes I'll see actors' newsletters where it's really into the personal or, or into other projects no, that aren't actors. That is What kind mistake. of stuff do you want? That's a mistake. You got to keep this business. You know, if you have any question about it, just ask, what would you talk about at a job interview? Right? If a person asks you about your kids or asks you to see pictures, that's a different story. Part of your story is going to be personal, but to just write for the sole purpose of saying, here's pictures of my kids, what I'd much rather hear is, you know, sometimes you're not going to have something to invite me to, right? Sometimes right. you're not going to have anything particular to say. Then you get to say the truth. You get to say, hey, just wanted to remind you that I'm out here. I know that you're casting blah, blah, blah. I hope you'll think of it for me. Right. And you'll, and w- would you want them to say, I'm, you know, I'm in class. I'm in what kind of stuff would, you know, something that is professional or it is, it's just as simple as, hey, I want to be in Legally Blonde. It's, I think I'm great for it. And that's it. Yeah, I hope that you'll think of me. Or, I mean, I think it should be polite. I think it should be in full sentences. And I think it should be able to fit on a post-it. Fit on a post-it. I love it. Um, All right. Let's do just a little general advice. So what's something that you rarely see in auditions that you really like when actors do? Is there something that somebody walks in the room and you go, why do more actors not do that? I feel very strongly about this. And I think the biggest issue is with younger actors. And that is your choice making. I feel like the only thing anybody's asking you to do to prepare is to have a point of view and be an actor. And you should know that what I'm thinking about is based on what you just did in my room, would I ask somebody to pay $220 to watch it for two and a half hours? Mm Mm-hmm. Right. So I think that even though maybe they're not thinking of it consciously like this, I think that a lot of young actors think, I think I'm going to try and show that I do a lot of things kind of Uh well, and then let her decide sort of what category I go in. Uh But being nonspecific just kind of makes me think you're a bad actor. Uh And the fear of being so specific that that's what you think I'm going to think of you, and maybe Mm -hmm. that's going to be limiting is kind of a falsehood. Because Uh if you're so specific and it's so wrong or off the mark, but truthful, All I'm going to think is, oh, that person's a good actor, but that is so far from what I need. Let me see if we can make an adjustment or just really not going to be right for this, but I have to make sure to see them for blinkety blank. That's such good advice. Yes, it's not what they want to hear. They wanted to hear wear a certain kind of shirt, but it's great advice. Yeah, sorry. Nobody really cares about that. (laughs) Um, Is there anything on the converse? Is there anything that really bothers you that, you know, uh, just is there kind of a red flag when you see an actor walk in the room and do X? Yeah, for me, too much kibitzing, too much extra stuff going on with the with the bags and the sides not being in order and the things and the phone ringing and the clothes needing adjust. Like, mm-hmm. I just need you to be there in time to settle and focus yourself so that mm-hmm. when you walk in the room, all of that is taken care of. And all you have to do is concentrate on telling the story. I get concerned when somebody's like super flustered and, you know, I, I know that there's a, a certain amount of nervousness that's unavoidable. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do think that there's a way to walk into the room that's going to give us confidence that you're ready to do the job. How are you talking to your, to your accompanist? If you mm-hmm. do 16 bars for me and I say, you know what, let's do the whole song. And you say, oh, I don't mm-hmm. have the whole song. Like... Ooh amateur hour. You know what I mean? Um, It's little things like that that sound like, you know, kind of bitchy, but like, I don't mean it that way. I just mean like, these are the things for young actors that make me go, that person is ready. That person has prepared. They're not ready. If they, if they don't come, if they come in with only 16 bars, they go, oh, they're not ready. They're not, they're not at this place where they're, I'm going to pass them on to the next level. Or they haven't had a very good education if they don't know that they need to know the entire song. It's like doing a monologue without reading the play, Uh you know, Uh or having the play with you or having a cut that is the full song. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, you should know how to be prepared for a professional situation now. 
So true. Um, let's talk a little bit, maybe do some quick hitters on self-tapes. Um, we can do some general advice too, but I have a couple specific questions about the self-tape that I know people that come up. Um, you know, people often ask about like, how do I slate in a self-tape? Meaning like, should I kind of be in character? If, if I'm auditioning for like a cocky villain role, should I come in and kind of be like, hey, I'm Charlie Murphy? Or is it okay if I come in and I'm like, hi, I'm Charlie. It's so nice to meet you all. And then I do the audition. Like, how do you feel about the slate in a self-tape? I think it's smart to always be intimating the world of what it is that you're auditioning for. That is not a rule. Somebody else might say something mm -hmm. totally different. Um, but I think that it doesn't mean you come in, you know, slating with an accent if you're supposed to right. be speaking with an accent or, but I think rhythmically and pace wise and, uh, how you're moving and all of that, even though it goes by in like six seconds, yep. um, it is a moment for us to just sort of see a little bit of who you are. So is this person really warm or are they, uh, or are they, um, you know, getting right down to business or whatever it is that, you know, is like a characteristic of the role that you're auditioning for, but without like, you know, Doing, doing a triple tour or, right. you know. Yeah, in your sleep. Well, you know what, what about, I mean? Totally. What about like dress? So, you know, if, if actors have maybe gotten the advice that you might like subtly suggest your character walking into the room, but you're not going to be in full costume, do you feel like, does that shift at all for self-tapes? Like, are, do, are you more excited about a, seeing more uh, someone in character or dressed in character for a self-tape? Or is it still the idea of a subtle suggestion? Subtle suggestion. Great answer. But but I, I do want to just say, like, important that you think about the carriage, right? The As a guy, Charlie, you know that you carry yourself differently if you're in dress pants and shoes and a sport coat versus mm -hmm. flip-flops and cargo shorts, mm -hmm. right? So those are the things that you can actually can control that might just help you feel a little more part of the world. So without making it the end all be all, you know, if I don't care if you come in wearing something that, you know, intimates the world of the play or not for me, I care about it for you, right. whatever you can do to help yourself. But if I throw on a lab coat and I'm playing a doctor, is that going to bother you? Is that, how would you feel? Or you be like, I that's think a that's much. a bit much. Yeah. What I about, do. how do you feel about a prop? Especially when people are at home, sometimes they're like, I've got no, the phone right here. Not no, for, no props no. for Mary. You don't need to come into like Pearl Studios and light a cigarette and hold an oh, umbrella totally. and take out your phone. No, no, you I know? only mean mean for self-tapes of going, you know, if you've got the stuff right there, how do you feel about someone using a wine glass? When I don't have a wine? problem with that. I think that's, that's different in person than it is via self-tape. But I will say, like, those are bits. You got to call them what they are. If it helps mm -hmm. you intimate the world of it, that's great. But there has to be a beginning, middle, and end. And it has yeah. to be specific. You're not going to get cast just because of the clipboard you're using or whatever you're saying. You gotta for sure not. <laughs> All right, Mary. Are we ready for our dumb game? We've been anticipating. I don't anticipating... know. I'm scared of it a little bit. It's scary. I, you're not wrong to be scared. I think it's good. We're calling this game Casting a Wide MTCA Net. So <laughs> you, or at least your office, has cast many amazing Broadway shows, including many MTCA coaches and Mapping the College Edition guests. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. try to name the show and some fun fact about the person to varying degrees of difficulty, and we'll see if you could name the MTCA coach or Mapping the College Edition guest So involved. can I ask you, did you do your research? Are these shows that I was actually the point person on? Absolutely not. No, no, no. There's very little research done. No, I just did. I looked at the shows that your office cast and then I'm like, I know people on that. And then we'll see how it goes. All right. Are you ready to play Casting a Wide MTCA Net? No, Marisher. I'm not. But yes, go ahead. Okay, fantastic. Here we go. Yes, and. All right. I'm going to start off with a softball for you. Submissions only. You have said you're particularly proud of casting this web series, which features which MTCA coach as Linda Avery? That would be Ann L. Nathan. See, we started off right. All right, for bonus points, and it's going to get a little harder, which Mapping the College Edition friend of the pod and wife of MTCA coach Joe Tapper plays the character of Adorable Girl, a bubbly actress who likes to compliment people on how thin they look? Is that Annalie Ashford? That is Annalie Ashford, two for two. Yeah. Spelling B, spelling B. This friend of the pod was the original Logan Schwartz and Grubinier in Spelling Bee and is also my real life real estate agent. 
So A, that was before my time okay. at Tara Rubin Casting, but I'm going to say that that is Sarah. Mm-hmm. Oh, shoot. What is her last name? Remember, there's a hint if you need it. Salzburg. This is fantastic. And you didn't need the hint. Again, I'm giving you hints if you want them. You're too I nice. haven't even asked a hint yet. I'm, I'm so impressed saying. by this part of it that you're not asking for the hints. All right. Phantom of the Opera. This yeah. friend of the pod was the replacement for Christine Daae from 2019 to 2022. She began her career in the opera world before jumping over with roles in Candide and Love Never Dies. I'm going to say that that would be Megan Pacerno. You are four for four. Megan Pacerno is right. Absolutely right. All right. We're moving on to Aladdin. This longtime OG MTCA coach from way back in the day starred at at Aladdin from 2017 to 2019. He's a many-time Broadway vet and the very first artist guest on this podcast after appearing in shows like Allegiance, Rent, Godspell, Flower Drum Song, and many more. He also happens to be besties with MTCA's other director. That's Telly Leon. You are perfect at this game. And one thing I have to also tell you is each time you give me a little suspense because your face does not look like you know them. I'm nervous for you every time before you say it, but you've been perfect so far. You know what that's called, Charlie? Acting. It is called acting. That is Emerson training. School of Rock. Yes. This show had a plethora of MTCA participants in it. Alongside director Leo Ash Evans, it also featured a replacement who made his Broadway debut in the ensemble, replacing Stanley slash Mr. Williams. This longtime MTCA coach and friend of the pod is also an incredible musician and composer and went on to be in Be More Chill right afterward. You had me at hello. That is Joel Wagner. You better believe it is. Also, shout out to MTCA dance coach Morgan Rose, who was a dance captain there. We only have time for so many questions. A lot of MTCA. Yeah. Okay. This, we're getting harder here. Jersey Boys. This long-time MTCA coach and my high school friend from Pittsburgh replaced Mary Delgado after swinging for this production. She's a Point Park graduate, proud mom of two, brilliant redhead, and her first name might be given out at Halloween by most, but not as likely by a mom in Brooklyn. Uh, Candy... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Candy boy, candy boy, I love you. I'm so sorry. I my mind was a blank, but I also forgot how to spell the word the this morning. Have you so discovered it? Now? You, have we found it? I have discovered it. I figured it out. This is our last one. Okay, Mamma Mia featured a number of MTCA connections, including our longtime coach Chris Peluso, our upcoming podcast guest Sean Allen Krill. Spoiler alert: coming along, and this replacement for Sophie Sheridan, circa 2005. She's a friend of the pod, she's the godmother of my child, and has since moved on from acting to become a therapist. Her first name is what you might be accused of doing if you poorly dribbled a basketball. Um, There's only been 20 years of Mamma Mia, and this person was in the show for a short period of time. Not so much for me with Mamma Mia. Um, You and me both. um, Carrie, Carrie... Carrie Anderson. Carrie Anderson is what we're looking for. You've done fantastically in the game. I am so impressed by you getting most of the questions right. Unbelievable. We've reached the wrap-up section of the podcast. Um, Just a couple more questions. I just want to help you prognosticate a bit for me um, in terms of the future of this industry. It's my favorite thing to do. Is it actually? Okay, great. So I just hear a little bit generally, like, how do you feel? You know, here we are in 2023, we're entering our post-pandemic phase. What is this whole business going to look like? Maybe especially for our students who are just now about to go to college. So five years from now, they're graduating into what kind of world? How is it different than the industry today? I don't know that it's going to be that much different five years from now than it is right now, because everything that's happening right now is so is, is the beginning, right. Of something that's so new. So hopefully everybody will be sort of getting their sea legs with it within the next five years. Um, you know, what I hope will be different is the lack of diversity and acknowledgement and, um, awareness of, uh, how, things can be built and created and presented. Um, I feel like we're in a good place with that, you know, for shapes and sizes and Mm -hmm. colors and ages. And um, I hope that that is something that will continue and stop actually being an issue. Mm -hmm. I'd love to say that that will be different in 
five years. Um, Do you feel like it's it is changing with shapes? I feel like that is that feels like a frontier that certainly I know people are pushing for, but I'm not sure that I've seen that. I mean, in some ways, of course, it has. We've seen some shows with uh, um, people of different shapes in them, but is that something that you feel like the industry is? I don't know, commercially pushing for? I do. I love that. That's something you're hearing from the producing end that they're going, hey, we're open to seeing a romantic lead who's a larger person. Uh, I, uh, not even a question. I love that. Um, but I, and I guess I'm, I'm really thinking a little bit more in the TV film world where it feels like there's not, it's, it feels a little bit farther behind. So I think Broadway certainly seems to be leading that. We see Strange Loop. We see a lot, you know, but um, yeah, I feel like in the TV film world, it feels like it's lagging behind a little Don't bit. see it as much on film and television. Um, but you do when it kind of centers around that as being part of the story, right? right? Like Jane the Virgin, or um, I think that it's becoming sort of universal that it's there's nothing like unpalatable here. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like everybody's sort of starting to see things through eyes that are seeing a different interpretation of beauty. Yep. You know, what everybody... What people think is beautiful is is very different, yep. and I'm really talking about like the exterior because yep. we don't really have time to to know what's going on internally. Sure. Is that person a good person, right. a funny person, a you know consistently one thing? But I do think we have a certain expectation, and I don't even know if it's about your size. I think it has to you know I think everybody is struggling with it. I think it has to do with social media. I think it has to do with politics. I think it has to do with the foundation that you get at home, like when you're growing up. It, it's different for everybody. Mm-hmm. But um, I do think that, you know, people are, are walking into my rooms, at least, with much more open-mindedness and giving me much more freedom and much more rope to to try things that aren't necessarily inside the boxes that they were before. Super encouraging to hear. I hope you're right. I hope 10 years from now um, that we're going to see network television and just all different kinds of romantic people who look completely different. Um, I hope so too. If you could give a piece of advice out there to a young actor who's about to read your book, what kind of advice would you want to give to that young person, you know, who's going to meet you a couple of years from now? I would say to keep studying and I would say to really play the long game to not, you know, give yourself a a time limit to really do everything that you can, whether it's like finding your church or your gym or your, whatever it is that Mm -hmm. sort of keeps you sane and being able to sort of contribute positively to society and to the people's lives whom you love and to really make sure that you don't define yourself strictly as an actor and let stuff into your life that sort of feeds your soul so that you can, so that you can be better. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So that you can be better at your craft so that, and, 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 you know, what I mean by the long game is to try to not compare yourself to other people and really try and believe that if you're actually working hard, and I mean, like when I say hard, I'm not like saying that word lightly. I mean, like you're doing something every day to try and get a job, then that's you being exactly where you're supposed to be. You'll know when it's time to walk away from it, Mm -hmm. but you have to like have a thick enough skin to know that you're going to be doing it into a void for a really long time, probably. And that's for film and television as well. Um, We have, I fear, not talked nearly enough about your book. So if they loved hearing you today, um, give me a little plug on why I should click this link that'll be in the show notes and buy From Craft to Career. Yeah, so from craft to career, um, casting director's guide for the actor oh, is the full subtitle. Title. Oh, um, really, was born of me watching people audition and you know being very aware of all of the things that were out of their control and certainly out of my control based on what the process is, which auditions are so flawed. Like we all know that that process is flawed. Um, but realizing that there were so many things that actors could control that they didn't know that they could. So I was like, I should tell them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was part of what it was about. And then it also became about demystifying the actual casting process, who everybody is behind the table, how to 
make decisions about your choices based on what you know about the room that you're walking into. Just things that nobody ever told me that I think if I had known would have given me more confidence. I love it. Um, Well, Mary, thank you so much for the time today. This was such a joy for me. I'm so glad. Thank you for having me. That was really fun. Heidi, Heidi, Heidi Ho. That was a great interview with Mary Sugarman, if I do say so myself. Uh, She was such a blast to talk to, and she was really funny from almost jump. Like, genuine in her groundedness, but also so smart and quick with that dry humor. She kept making me and Megan laugh in all of the breaks with some really great self-effacing humor that unfortunately, for various reasons, we could not include in the show. Speaking of including in the show, we take our games very seriously and would never want to deceive any of you here. So shrewd listeners may notice that it's a bit odd that I compliment Mary on going four for four. I think at one point she even goes six for six. She was doing unbelievably well. But she does eventually miss two people. We decided to include Carrie in here since she's a friend and is now out of the business. So I know she wouldn't mind being missed in this case. But we thought we would spare the other person the very slight embarrassment it might cause. They're still active in the business and they're a heck of a lot more famous than me. But still don't need to be publicly aired during what I realized partially through the game was a very dangerous game of my creation. Um, And I do also think, most importantly, Mary's performance was incredible in terms of who she remembered and how quickly, especially given some of these questions were from like 20 years ago. But if you're remarking on it sounding a bit odd that this was the only miss, quote unquote, at the end, and I didn't speak to that near perfect game she would have had, that was sadly not the case. And I wouldn't want to try slipping something by you, our listeners. I know you're all much too clever for that. In terms of a takeaway from today, uh, I thought I would chat a bit more about a small part of our discussion when we chatted uh, about Mary going to L.A. and exploring TV film as part of this business. We were talking about exploring the TV film world at some point, and I mentioned it's worth reckoning with that part of yourself that will eventually want to explore that, even if right now you're gung-ho on musical theater and nothing but musical theater. Um, I I would expand that answer a bit more to encompass more than just TV and film, and maybe just say it as simply that at some point most actors are going to want to make sustainable money from their acting. And this may seem like the most obvious statement in the world, but you would be surprised how many actors, especially those who love their craft deeply, love theater, love the rehearsal process, which is very common, are pretty happy in their 20s, working away for pretty small amounts of money in chasing their dream, and then just supplementing financially with those supporting jobs. But inevitably, at some point, maybe it's their late 20s, early 30s, often I feel like it's early 30s, sometimes it's mid-30s, even into your early 40s, they're going to want to figure out how to make that sustainable money and to do it from their craft. You know, you'll I'll often hear someone say something like, you know, I really want to try to get in, getting into TV now. And while, of course, that can happen at 35 or at 40 or at 45, I think it is helpful to have laid as many of those breadcrumbs early in your career as possible so that you aren't necessarily starting from square one in your 30s or your 40s when you come around to that. But I also do want to expand that beyond just TV and film because there are absolutely other ways to make sustainable income in this business. It is rare that it's going to be consistently solely with theater, again, unless you're working constantly on Broadway. But theater and some of that theater success can absolutely become parlayed into stuff like concert gigs, which can be very lucrative. And certainly the world of commercials is a whole world where people can sustain themselves, voiceovers, industrials. Even now there's stuff like video games that can be great gigs to get into uh, as well that pay well for quote unquote performing. And this is quite aside from the question of side jobs and survival jobs, which are also worth considering. And, And it's not to say that I think there's any more value personally in a dollar earned from a commercial versus a dollar earned in a restaurant or a temp job. I certainly don't see any distinction between those dollars. I'll just say there is a specific and noticeable phenomenon that I often see in mid-career actors who are successful where they now say, hey, I think I'd like to make real money doing this thing that I'm already successful at doing. Where you're already, you know, doing this impossible thing of getting cast and getting roles in the theater world, which is very difficult. But now you sort of say to yourself like, hey, I'm I'm too good to be paid so little. I I deserve to be paid more for this thing that I studied and that is my craft. Or often, 
you know, it's about, I love the work I'm doing so much. Maybe it's doing off-Broadway plays, for instance. I want to do a lot of off-Broadway plays that I need a way, a way to make this work, which doesn't necessarily mean waiting tables four nights a week or doing something that's taking too much time away from what I'm doing. So maybe it is then about getting into a, a couple guest spots or it is about a commercial world or what can you be doing voiceover-wise. It makes it so you don't have to necessarily be working at night when you want to be, you know, performing if you want to do off-Broadway shows. That doesn't really come wrapped in too much advice, except maybe that if you're the kind of actor who thinks I won't be like that, um, I think you probably will. Though I guess, I don't know, prove me wrong, check back in 10 years, maybe you'll be the person who goes, no, I love theater and I'm gonna do nothing but theater all the time and I don't care if I ever make money doing it. Um, but if you're making decisions based off that narrow focus, I just think it might be worth trying to expand your concept of your career and what it could be. I'm saying that maybe partially because myself at 17, all I thought I wanted to do were plays and new plays and play development. And I basically had no interest in anything that smelled commercial. The idea of it being more commercial or, or sort of even worrying about the finances felt gross to me, where all I wanted to do was the art and the, the making of the plays and, and all that kind of stuff. But now I know, realistically, that if I were to take a new play off-Broadway or many regional theaters, not all, but many regional theaters, my babysitter would likely make more in that week than I would make for doing that theater. Doesn't mean it still can't happen for the love of the art and that people do that and people I've seen people make those decisions, but the reality of life does creep in there as well and the business part of show business comes around and bites us all eventually. That's it, we've done a show. I hope you thought it was good and if you did, maybe hit us with a rating and review. Five stars if you please. Uh, you can also follow us on all the socials media and check us out at mtcollegeeditions.com, all of which is found in your show notes. To my young artists out there mapping their journeys, make some darn choices. We'll see you next week. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.